0: All right, so we are continuing tonight in our Statement of Faith series. Um, by the way, you know, I, I just got through talking about how, um, how much nicer the weather had become. And this morning as, as, uh, as we were walking out, um, Debbie comes up behind me and goes, Pastor, what are you talking about? The weather's nicer. Amidst all this humidity, she goes, I'm not trusting you anymore for any weather, weather forecast. <laughs> That's good. As long as you trust me with the word of God, it doesn't matter if you. (laughs) So we're uh, we're continuing in our statement of um, of faith and uh, do all I I know we have some new folks. So Humbert and uh, Marlene are here. Um, You probably don't have a printed statement of faith. so we're, we're going through a, a printed statement of faith. I don't know if anyone has an extra one. You might be able to loan to them um, while we go through this uh, tonight. Uh, but we're continuing in our Statement of Faith series, and what we're covering tonight is article number eight, which is the atonement of sin. So we've covered seven articles um, up to this point, and that's uh, that's pretty good. So article number eight, um, the atonement of sin, we'll go ahead and read what the statement says. and. This is a a very lengthy statement and it's again all one sentence um so this is uh this is a mouthful okay so article number eight the atonement for sin the statement reads we believe that the salvation of sinners is holy by grace through the mediatorial offices of the son of god that he by the appointment of the father freely took upon him our nature yet without sin honored the divine law by his personal obedience and by his death made a full and vicarious atonement for our sin, that his atonement consisted not in setting us an example by his death as a martyr, but of a voluntary substitution of himself in the sinner's place, the just dying for the unjust, Christ the Lord bearing our sins in his own body on the tree, that having risen from the dead, he is now enthroned in heaven, and uniting in his wonderful person the tenderest, sympathies it's very puritanical language tenderest sympathies with divine perfection he is in every way qualified to be a suitable compassionate and all-sufficient savior so that's a it's a full statement a lot of wonderful statements there um first of all when we think of atonement what, what does atonement mean any idea what is our issue uh with with god yeah, sin. But what what is sin? What what does sin? Why is sin the issue? What what does it do in terms of our relationship with God? God is holy. Yes. He could not have sin. Yeah, he could not have sin in his presence. It separates us from him, right? Um, so so we have this separation from God without the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and and really, part of our salvation is is this reconciliation. And the reconciliation we're we're brought together. We're we're brought in this peaceful we have peace you know so jesus says blessed be the peacemakers that gets twisted out of context often to talk about you know war and peace in the world and whatnot and and certainly you know there's um, good christian values involved in trying to preserve peace there Uh, but when jesus says blessed are the peacemakers he's really talking about peace between us and god right so there there is um and we know from ephesians 2 1 through 3 you know we're at you know, we're at enmity against God, right? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We're at enmity against God. So atonement is really helping to bridge that gap, bringing that relationship back together. And in fact, someone explained it to me this way. Um, if you break down that word atonement, um, just look at the first two syllables and, and break it apart. and It is at one. We are at one with God. And the last part, the, the ment the M-E-T, that's really a suffix to denote the state of being at one. So we are at one with God. That's what atonement is about. Um, and so we, we're going to look at some of these uh, statements as we have in the past and, and, and try to examine why these, each of these statements are important Um, And and this was more difficult to break apart because it's all one sentence. There's no period in this entire thing until the very end. So I don't know if the Apostle Paul came back to life and wrote this or not. Um, But we look at the the, the first uh, point here and it says, We believe that the salvation of sinners is holy by grace through the mediatorial offices of the Son of God. So let's break that apart. We believe that the salvation of sinners is holy by grace. So what do we mean by grace? unmerited favor okay you guys were listening this morning good (laughs) or either that you just knew that by heart (laughs) it's unmerited favor Um, and what we mean by that is is receiving a gift from God and when we talk about gifts it's not something that you deserve it's nothing that you earned Um, you you received it by the good grace of of God so salvation of sinners is holy so not partially not half and half Um, because for instance the Roman Catholic Church will teach that salvation is by faith and works, right? Um, and uh, and Paul, I think, in the book of Romans makes the point that, look, if it's partially by works, then it's not by grace at all. Um, so it's either fully by grace or it's not by grace at all. Once you start mixing works in it, you know, you lose out on the grace. So we believe salvation of sinners is wholly by grace. And, and that right there you know whenever and i've said this before but whenever we try to be more inclusive uh with the gospel we start saying oh well this denomination is included that cult is included you know let's uh, you will include the mormons and all you know we start to wrap our rounds around all these other faiths and said they're all included and they're all saved when when we do that what we essentially are doing to the gospel is we're adding works to the gospel um, because if those folks do not believe that <clears throat> salvation is by faith alone but they believe that their works somehow contribute to that and, and we say that they're saved also, then we're saying that works can actually be used to achieve our salvation. And so by being more inclusive, and that was part of this morning when I said that people often say God is a God of love, and that's why we must love everyone and just include everyone. Well, you do that, and what you end up doing is that you end up adding um, legalism to the gospel itself. There is a free grace of the gospel. Um, that, uh, that, that needs to be preserved by the, uh, by, by the accuracy of recognizing that it's by the work of Jesus Christ alone. So it's holy by grace, through the mediatorial offices of the Son of God. Well, what does that mean, through the mediatorial offices of the Son of God? Because if we said if it's by grace, uh, through faith in faith, you know, faith in Jesus Christ, I think that'd be pretty simple. But it says through the mediatorial offices. What do we think that means? He presented himself perfect before God. Okay. Any other ideas? He shed blood. He shed blood. He shed blood? Sure, sure. Now, what What do we, uh, Maureen? Uh, his, his work was all sufficient. It was complete. It needed nothing added to right. his work. Oh, absolutely. 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 Um, Complete. Yeah, I, I mean, multiple times in the book of Hebrews, once for all, once for all, right? Uh, one sacrifice uh, for all. But w- what about this this phrase, mediatorial offices? Well, what do you think is meant by that? It's one mediator between God and man. One mediator between God and man, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, what's interesting, though, is I I would have thought this would have been a mediatorial office, but it's mediatorial offices, plural. Isn't that just another way to say offerings? Offerings. Um, I think in this case, office is talking about um, the position that he fills, you know what uh, what uh, you know how he functions, right and and for instance, um the mediatorial office that I would talk about is priest. Um so he is up in heaven. He's not only reigning over heaven, heaven. yeah, he's at the right side of of God, but he is also interceding for us um, constantly as our great high priest, right. So that's, um, that, that's one of the mediatorial offices that he functions as our great high priest. So this might be in reference to the fact that Jesus really functions multiple roles. I mean, obviously, he's son of God, but he's also the Messiah. He's the king. He is the great high priest. Um, he is the prophet. Right. He is not just a prophet. He is the prophet that was promised to Moses. Could you comment on, on the way in which the Holy Spirit also uh, serves uh, as an advocate for us? Yeah. Because these, these two functions seem to overlap. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and it, um, Yeah, the Holy Spirit um, intercedes for us. I think you find that in Romans chapter 8. Yeah, yeah go, go with me to Romans chapter 8. Let's take a look at that. 16. Romans 8, uh, 16. Yeah, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. We are children of God. And then um, further down in 26. There you go. There you go. Yeah, so there's a couple of verses. In chapter 8, uh, verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And I would say that that's um, simply the work of the Spirit uh, within the believer, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, that we belong to Jesus Christ, that we um, have been adopted. Um, we know that truth from Ephesians 1, uh, 5. Um, but go down to verse 26. It says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how we should, we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Um, so yeah, this is uh, this is a good question. And is it the Spirit that intercedes for us, or is it Jesus Christ that intercedes for us? Well, it's both. Yeah, it's both. It's both. And and we know Jesus Christ is up at the right hand of God the Father, and in multiple ways. I mean, you think about. Peter, you remember when Peter was, uh, you know, Satan got a hold of his mouth after Jesus said that he has to go to Jerusalem and he must uh, die, be tried, and and he would rise up on the third day. Peter said, you know, may it never happen. I forbid it. Mm-hmm. And um, Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then later on, um, Jesus tells Satan, not Satan tells Peter that Satan has uh, demanded permission to sift him like wheat. And guess what? Jesus' response was, I, pray I have prayed for you, but I have prayed for you. And it's amazing when, when you go to tradition of, of how Peter's life ended. Um, Peter ended up being, you know, faithful to the very end, being martyred. And in fact, the, um, the tradition is that he was martyred. He was martyred upside down. Um, he didn't even want to be crucified right side up, not feeling that he was worthy to be crucified the same way the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. I tend to think of the Spirit as being our advocate and, uh, and Jesus being the one who uh, talks to his father about us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know they work together. Yeah, yeah. They're not in conflict. Yeah. But the Spirit lives within that's us. That's right, that's us, right. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, and and um and sometimes it's it's hard to separate where the work of the Spirit um starts and where Jesus Christ begins and, and vice versa. Um, Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Take a look at this. Um And, and this is uh, one of these sermons I have in my back pocket that I'm going to bring out one of these days um, when we take a little break, uh, perhaps soon. But this is a wonderful section of scripture. Acts uh, chapter 16, that's uh, when Paul gets out to, um, eventually gets out to Philippi. Um, he has his introduction to Philippi. But take a look at, starting in verse 6, Acts chapter 16, verse 6, this is, The uh, uh, apostolic uh, team, Paul and and Luke and and Timothy, a number of people like that, uh, said they passed through the uh, Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So very interesting, they they get to this, you know, Paul is the, he is the apostle to the Gentiles. He's the one that's going out and just going into new regions. And it's interesting here that it says he has been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So we see the Spirit working upon him. But then look at verse 7. And after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia. And look at that, the spirit of Jesus. The spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And then passing by Mycenae, they came to Troas. And finally, uh, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Verse 9, a man of Macedonia um, said, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when they had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is what I call the... The, the road to Troas, because um, from verses 6 to 10, and, and we can easily overlook this, but if you are to map out Paul's travels um, from verses 6 to 10, that's, that's minimally like a 300-mile trek. And really from Antioch, if you trace it all the way back to Antioch, the ascending church that sent him out, because this is his second missionary journey, it's over a 500-mile trek. Um, so this was quite a walk. And for, to, to walk 300 miles and not to know where Jesus is, is leading you, not to know where the Holy Spirit is leading you. But what, um, what I wanted to point out here is that, you know, we have the Holy Spirit first that forbid them, for, forbade them um, from preaching in Phrygian and Galatian region. And then in verse 7, it's the Spirit of Jesus. Now, I would say when we see the Spirit of Jesus, uh, I, I would say clearly the Holy Spirit's at work. But it says the spirit of Jesus, and then I think that Jesus is actually directly involved in that somehow. Um, so so where, do we, where do we draw the line in terms of, you know, who's interceding and who's operating? You, you know what? Um, they're, they're both in operation. They're both in operation. And, and, and why is Jesus involved here? Well, the great commission that Paul is fulfilling, guess whose commission that is? That's Jesus' commission. You know, so so Jesus um, has an active role in, in how the Word of God is is making it out there. But um, but yeah, with regards to trying to separate the two, um, in, in Romans eight, what we just read, it talks about praying. So we don't know how to pray. You know, we don't pray the way we ought to pray. And, and the Spirit at times intercedes for us. Um, Jesus talked about how the fact that you're going to be brought before rulers. He told that to the disciples. You're going to be brought before rulers and, and leaders. And um, you're not going to know, and and don't worry, but I will tell you at that time what to say. And how is Jesus going to tell them what to say? It's through who? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Um, so, yeah, I think they're both in operation. The Holy Spirit does the will of Jesus Christ and God the Father. Well, yeah, they're never in conflict. Absolutely, they're never in conflict. But, yeah, what we see here in, in Romans Romans 8, what we looked at just previously, it's, it's really um, our you know our prayer to God how how we try to commune with God and the Holy Spirit can intercede and then on heaven's side Jesus Christ is interceding for us constantly knowing that Satan day and night is doing what to us he's bringing accusations right I mean you you see that in Revelation he's bringing accusations against us day and night and also I think um, knowing that we're in the family of God knowing that we belong to Christ knowing that he is our head gives me confidence that everything that happens to the church is exactly what was intended by our Lord Jesus Christ and and he is interceding in that way to ensure that his will be done um, and that his will cannot be overcome and so there's there, there's significant um, truth when we think back to you know at the end of Ephesians 1 when when Paul wrote that that he has been exalted you know, above, uh, above all powers, above all principalities and dominions, you know, uh, you know in, in the highest uh, level of heaven at the right hand of God, there is no one who can thwart the will of God. And there is no one who can thwart the will of Jesus Christ with regards to how the, the gospel is spread and how his church grows um, or how his church thrives and whatnot. And, and you know what? Um, sometimes that's not easy. I mean, I, I just uh, read, and I can't remember where I read it, but I just read online that, you know, some people have uh, promised that, you know, once you're a Christian, your life is automatically better. The church is going to be better and, and this and that and all that, that and the other. And, you know, God, God's will, he, he never promises an easy life, right? You know, John fifteen eighteen. if the world hated you, know first that it what? Yeah, it hated me. So if it hated me, for certain it's going to hate you. You know, there's there's no reason why, why it wouldn't. So um, we're not promised an easy life. We know that there's going to be trials. There's going to be challenges, especially within the church. Um, you know, the you know, we're, we're called in Scripture and we're going to see that in Ephesians. We're called in Scripture again and again and again to be united together, you know, as one body. To be united together as brothers and sisters in, in christ and the reason why we see that exhortation constantly and, and seriously it is constant everywhere the reason why we see it everywhere is one is because it is so important and two in our flesh that is the one area that we will compromise on first when we start to give into the flesh we start to divide within the church we start to divide within the body of christ and it, it takes a lot of uh, it takes a lot of grace it takes a lot of mercy um, between one another you know to you know we're, we're like i said this morning we're not you know we're not always the easiest people to get along with. I know I'm not always the easiest person to get along with. You know I saw I saw this. Uh, <laughs> Should we talk to Alice Yeah. <laughs> I saw I saw this uh, th- this um, post um, a while back, and I, I was going to post it, but I decided to wait. It said um, It said, be sure you you pray for your pastor's wife because she has to deal with your pastor. <laughs> 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 so so my my wife uh, my, my wife knows that. Uh, There's, you know, the two, the two adjectives you use to describe me most is, um, is noisy and out of control. (laughs) That's, that's, that says quite a bit, but it's, we we have fun. We have fun. But yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we're not always the easiest people to get along with. and, And it really requires a lot of effort on our part. Um, To to extend grace and mercy and and to really work on reconciling relationships and and to be at peace with one another and you know Gossip is one of those ways that that you know unity can be just torn apart And and I tell you gossip is also one of the ways that you can destroy someone's trust in the church But when people see that um, that that the church is full of gossips, you know, they never want to open up and and you know, not opening up, having these kind of, um, you know, segregated lives, these siloed lives from each other is, is not the way that Christ has called us to live within the church. That's a little bit of a tangent. I, I, I went off on, on that, but I, I think that that is very important. But but yeah, going to how the Holy Spirit does intercede for us, Jesus Christ intercedes for us, um, and uh, and we need both. You know, we, we, we need... Um, uh, everything that they they can offer and we know that sanctification is a, is a, it's a two-way street um, god works within us but he doesn't work without us right so sanctification is our responsibility but it's our responsibility knowing that the power of god is is there to help us as we obey and 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 do his will So um, back to this uh, initial statement. Uh, So the mediatorial offices of the son of God, um, he has multiple offices. So I think that's why offices is plural. You know, he's he he is the prophet. He is our he is the Christ. He is the king. He is also the great high priest. He has many different functions. He's the head of the church. um, So he fulfills many different functions and and he mediates. So that's to come in between, to mediate, to between between us and and God, the father. He operates in between us. And and that's also the, the beauty of. You know, in in the book of Luke, um, when he is um, crucified and then the veil of the curtain is torn, right? The veil of the curtain, what what is that veil? That was the veil to the holiest of holies, Mm -hmm. you know, where the great high priest could only go once a year on the Day of Atonement. So we're talking about atonement. That was on the Day of Atonement. He can go into the holiest of holies to offer up a sacrifice for all the unconfessed sins of Israel during the year. Um, but they, they only could go through that great high priest, and he could only go once a year, and he had to go the correct way, or else God would strike him down dead. Um, but uh, with, with the veil being torn, you no longer need to go to a priest. You have direct access to God through the mediator, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, and that's why, I mean, John 4, right? John 4, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, right? What well, was the question that the woman asked? Where is it that we're supposed to worship? Is this supposed to be here on this mountain, or is this supposed to be in Jerusalem? And what does Jesus say? Look, there, there is coming a time and it's already upon us um, where it won't, you know, you can worship anywhere. God is, but The important thing is God is seeking worshipers who will worship in what? In spirit from the inside and, and in truth in spirit and in truth Um, so it's not about location but it's really about your your heart it's about you know worshiping him um, genuinely and that's only possible because now we have direct access to God from any location through Jesus Christ our Lord who is omnipresent which means what he is he is everywhere he is everywhere we have access to Jesus Christ everywhere I mean these are I I mean these truths are wonderful I mean they're absolutely wonderful you can worship God anywhere you are on this planet um and that's uh, that, that's that's a beautiful benefit uh, of being in Christ. Um, next statement says uh, that uh, so says that He, by the appointment of the Father, freely took upon Him our nature, yet without sin. Uh, what's that describing? He came to earth as a man. Came to earth as a man. Sin. Yeah, and there, we have a word for that. What do we call that? Incarnation. incarnation. Yeah, incarnation. That's right. Um, turn to the Book of John, John chapter one. John chapter 1, verse 1. And I love, you got to love how John starts off um, the book of John. You know, because we we know that Genesis 1, 1, probably one of the most well-known verses in all the Bible, even by non-believers. In the beginning, God created what? Heavens and the universe. And it's very intentional that John starts off with in the beginning. And we think of Genesis in the beginning, God. How does John start off? In the beginning, the word. The word yeah. and and it, yeah and and so he's taking our mind right back to the creation account he's taking our mind to genesis 1 1 saying in the beginning but instead of saying talking about creation he he's actually talking about a point in time even before creation in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god and then verse 14 is the incarnation and the word did what became yeah became flesh so jesus christ was not always a man he was not always um, human flesh, um, but from that time forward he was. And so one of the things that we talk about when we say the attributes of God, um, one of my favorite attributes is that God is immutable. What does that mean? Immutable? He, he does not change. And then guess what one of the complaints well, one of the challenges comes back with regards to Jesus Christ is that well, Jesus changed, right? Because he, he wasn't always existing in the form of man. There was a point in history where he became man. He became incarnate. Um, well, what, what, how do you respond to that? What would you say? He was still God. He didn't change who he was. Yeah, I mean, in terms of his attributes of God, he didn't change. Yeah, he may have changed in terms of physical appearance, but when we say God is immutable, that's that. we're, we're not talking about that it's impossible for Jesus Christ to exist as a spirit and then become incarnate if, as in flesh to, uh, to the point uh, that Joe Kettner just made. He was always God. He is always God. He always will be God, right? And uh, all the attributes that have applied to him will always apply to him, right? Um, Philippians 2, turn with me to Philippians 2. You know, because this uh, this really this kind of this second point that I'm covering here in the atonement says that Jesus, by the appointment of the father, freely took upon him our nature. So the father appointed it and Jesus Christ freely took it on. He 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 did it um, voluntarily. Um, so when we go to Philippians chapter two, um, look at verse five, Philippians two verse five, says this, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Who, although he existed in the form of God and the Greek word for form, it's it's a metamorphosis. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. It's uh, this kind of form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, what does that mean? Did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Well, what what he's talking about is is a thing to be clutched onto. He didn't he didn't hold on to it. But he had equality with God. And in this case, the equality with God is talking about this form of God that, that he exhibited. He did not regard that equality as something that he had to hold on to. But rather, verse 7, but emptied himself. Now, there's been a lot written about what is meant by emptying himself. Some people says he emptied himself of deity. Or he emptied himself of his um, voluntary use of his divine attributes. All right? But that's not what this passage says you know hermeneutics 101 what does the passage say he emptied himself how he didn't empty himself by taking things away he emptied himself by taking something on which is to take on the form of a bond servant so he existed in the form of god and he took on the form of a bond servant and even more so that is the word doulos in the greek and doulos in the greek means slave he took on the form of a slave. Uh, so he existed in the form of god he took on the form of a slave being made in the likeness of men but what we see here is that jesus did it voluntarily because he did not regard it a thing to be grasped um, but he emptied himself so what we see in verses six and seven really focuses on how jesus existed and what he voluntarily did he took on the form of a slave Um, And and he did it, uh, you know, he did it according to the will of God the Father. He submitted to God. Uh, You take a look at verse 8, being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself, and this is another action of Christ. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then from verses 9 through 11, we see what God the Father does in response to that obedience. But uh, I I point this out because it, it was god the father who appointed it but jesus christ voluntarily took on um, this nature of man um, upon his body Um, but he never released his divine attributes rather he emptied himself by taking on the form of a man and really when he came as a man i mean the book of isaiah isaiah 53 talks about how there was nothing about his appearance that that would stand out to us that you know this is the son of god right um you know, he looked like one of us, so there was no way that someone could look at him and say, "Oh yeah, for sure, that's that's the Christ, that's the King." In fact, when Jesus started to claim who he was, you know, what was the question? Wait a second, can anything good come from Galilee, right? <laughs> you, you know, that, isn't this the man? Don't we know his mother and father? I, and he, what's he claiming to be, right? So, so there there was nothing physically as as a man. He he just looked like one of us, and so there there was nothing that that would mark him that to show that hey, this is. This is the, the appointed son of God. The, the next point here um, in the statement, okay, after that he freely took on our nature, yet without sin, it says he honored the divine law by his personal obedience, his personal obedience. So what is this saying? How would you, um, how, how does this, why is this important to us? Salvation. Yeah, salvation. Explain that. Explain that. I agree with you. I just flesh it out more. Yeah, he took our sins to the cross. Right. If he had sinned at any point, which was impossible, but if he had sinned at any point, could he have paid for our sins on the cross? No, no. He fulfilled the law in every way. In fact, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. 17 and 18 this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus says this do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets I did not come to abolish but to what fulfill for truly I say to you until earth and heaven pass away not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished Uh, throughout the history of the Old Testament the law had never been fulfilled. The, the, the Jews uh, had continued to turn away from God. They were unfaithful to God. But on top of that, even if they had been faithful to God, they could never perfectly fulfill it because they were sinners. You know, but Jesus Christ was, uh, was perfect in every way. In fact, um, look at Second uh, Corinthians 5.21. And this is what I refer to as the penal substitutionary atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ. But look at verse 21. We'll take a look at that. Second Corinthians 5, verse 21 is the last verse of Second Corinthians. Um, and it, we read, he made him, so God made him, Jesus Christ. So God made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin. So Jesus knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. So he knew no sin, meaning he did not sin in any kind of way. But he became sin on our behalf doesn't mean that he became a sinner, but rather he became our substitute, right? He took on our sin on our. So he took on sin on our behalf. And then we have that. So that at the end of verse 21, second half, so that and here's the purpose so that we might become what the righteousness of God in him. Um, We are not righteous. We know that from just the sermons we've gone through in Ephesians. Um, chapter 2 we were dead in our trespasses and sin but here it says we become the righteousness of God and the only way that's possible is because Jesus Christ on the cross bore all of our sins took away the penalty of our sins because he paid for it and then gave us his righteousness and so that's when you know that's why after this life we have a guarantee that we're going to stand before God the Father and God promises that he's not going to remember our sins He's going to look at us, and rather than see our sins, what is he going to see? The blood of yeah, he's going to see the blood of Christ. He's going to see the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's going to see um, the perfect obedience and, and the righteousness that came about by Jesus Christ. Um, but uh, here, what I'm getting at, uh, talking about the experiential, this, this obedience of, um, of Jesus Christ um, there, there's another aspect to this of why this is, this is important. There, there's another aspect to why the obedience of Christ was important for us as believers. Well, what do you think that importance is? You know, aside from the fact that he had to be perfect and he had to pay for our sins, uh, what else? Take a look at uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Chapter 4, and go to verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 14, uh, we read, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And then look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot, what? sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things and yet without sin. sin. And verse 16, and and here's the therefore, this is what we should do as a response to that. Therefore, let us draw near with what? Confidence. Confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive, and there's that word, mercy, and find grace to help in the time of need. Um, This is a, a magnificent promise for when we struggle this is a magnificent promise for when we go through spiritual trials when we are when 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 we are having difficulty with our own flesh when we're having difficulty with relationships when things are not going as we would expect them you know what we have is a promise is that Jesus Christ is our high priest even though he was perfect he can sympathize what does it mean to sympathize yeah to understand you know, I mean, when you, when you go to someone for counsel or, or help, you're, you're more likely to go to someone who you think can sympathize, aren't you? Yes. I mean, if someone can't sympathize, all you're going to get is just cold legalism in response. But if you go to someone who sympathize, they, they understand the struggles that you're going through. They, they, they understand um, how to get through that. They can encourage you in a way that someone who has not experienced that cannot do so the, the the fact that jesus um he he, he was obedient and, and he you know learned disobedience um this was this was a major help to us as our great high priest and this is you know th- th- this verse 16 let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace well what is that that's that's prayer you know draw near to god through prayer um, because jesus christ who is our mediator can sympathize with your weaknesses and he can give you strength. He, he can give you strength in your time of need. You know, that's that's why we, we seek mercy and find grace. Yeah, you know, and this is our human flesh because oftentimes when we struggle, our temptation is to run away from God. But really what our temptation should be is to run to God. Run to God and, and lift up our need to him and recognize that we have... An advocate not only in the Holy Spirit within us who helps us to pray as we ought but also Jesus Christ our Lord who can sympathize with us um, more verses go to uh, stay in Hebrews look at chapter 5 verses 8 through 10 I talked about learned obedience I kind of tipped my hand that's here in chapter 5 verses 8 through 10 although he being Jesus Christ although Jesus was a son He learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Now that's interesting. He learned obedience. What do you think that means? Yeah. Yeah. I I think uh, that word uh, tempt, we need to understand that's testing, trying. Yeah. And he always passed the test. He he always passed, absolutely. That's how he learned through obedience. Yeah. He (laughs) always passed the test. The devil wanted him to do one thing, act out of act in his own will, yeah. outside the will of the Father. Very well, very well said. Very well said. Yeah, I mean, Jesus went through a series of temptations. I mean, really, from the time he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, what happened? He got thrown into the wilderness, um, 40 days uh, of fasting, and then being tempted by Satan. And Satan, um, using Scripture to try to tempt Jesus, actually, um, twisting Scripture, really. Uh, but Jesus passed those tests, as well as the rest of the tests for the rest of his ministry. Right? I mean, all the way up to his, uh, you know, his crucifixion. I mean, you know, think about his, his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Um, he, he says, let this cup pass from me, and his, his sweat is like blood. And, and, uh, but what does he say? He says, not my will, but what? My yeah, your will be done. And, and so when we, when we mention learned obedience, it's not that Jesus learned something new that he didn't already know. But what we're talking about here is that there was um, a submission, there was an obedience um, that he had not experienced up until then, because prior to this, I mean, prior to being being made incarnate, he existed in the form of God. He he was a fully sovereign, fully independent God, and yet connected to the Trinity. But he did not have to obey um, in the way that he had to obey as a man. You know, and that's why Philippians talks about how he submitted himself even to the point of what death, and not just death, but what death? What death. on the cross? On the cross. And that's significant because the, the cross was um, the, the, the most heinous way that you could die. I mean, it was like it was reserved for the worst of criminals. And on top of that, Jesus Christ was was not just crucified, but he was crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem. So that that's like that's the lowest of the low that you can get. Um, that, that's like the, the, the biggest insult uh, for anyone. And so that that was a stumbling block for a lot of Jews, you know, that that would say, well, if he was our Christ, if he was our Messiah, How was it that he ended up getting crucified of all things and outside the city of Jerusalem? You know, that ended up being a stumbling block for a lot of um, Jewish people. That, uh, you know, when you read through the book of Matthew and read through letters like um, Hebrews, it it helps to explain why all those things um, had to happen. So my point here is that he learned obedience, he experienced obedience. That's partially what makes him able to sympathize, you know, with our weaknesses, that he went through that. But there's another significance to this. Turn with me to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, and look at verse 21. 1 Peter 2, verse 21, and really 21 and twenty. Actually, we can all go all the way down to... Um, probably to the end of the chapter, but starting in verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose. This is Peter writing to believers who are worried about the persecution that Nero had been bringing upon Christians for a fire that they did not start, right? So verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose. Now that seems pretty important, right? You have been called as Christians for this purpose. This is your purpose as Christians. What is it? Since Christ also what? Suffered for you doing what? Yeah, leaving you an example for you to do what? Follow in his steps. In his steps. Um, so the, the other significance of this um, obedience of Christ is that he left us an example of how to live. You know, he, he lived as a man. And, and, and really when you look at the temptation of Satan, Satan was trying to get Jesus to rely upon his deity to get out of some of those temptations. Um, jesus refused refused every time choosing to trust in god we know that um, jesus brought signs and wonders at at various times but that was never to ease his own situation Um, the signs and wonders the miracles that he brought were signs in order to in order to authenticate who he was according to the prophecies of the old testament He, he never once relied upon his divine nature to make his experience any easier as a human I mean, we know that he got hungry, he, he got thirsty, he got tired, right? He, he even slept, right? Um, so we, we know that he experienced a lot of the shortcomings um, that, that we had. Um, but in addition, he endured suffering. You know, at any time during the persecution that he was experiencing, he could have called down a legion of angels at any time, right? I mean, that's, um, was it uh, Pontius Pilate, you know, that, uh, that, that said, are you the king of the Jews? And, and Jesus mentioned that at any time, if this was really his kingdom, he can bring down a legion of angels upon them at any time. Um, he had that authority to do that, but he didn't do that. He he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, meaning he humbled himself all the way to the very bitter end for us. And if he's willing to do that for us, then we should be willing to do that for him. And really for, for us, we're... You know, it's not like he needs our payment, but what we do is we glorify God by being willing to share God with the world. And that's what it is that we die for. You know, we die for actually a good purpose. We, we are willing to be persecuted for a good purpose. We've been very blessed for a long time here in the United States that we have not experienced persecution the way Christians experience persecution in other parts of the world. Um, Alice and I have been overseas in various places where we, we've had to be underground. Um, And in some of those areas, the persecution has gotten even worse. Uh, So we're we're very blessed. And and yet, we do see persecution increasing against believers, don't we? We do see persecution increasing for those who hold on to the truth of the Bible. You know, if you hold on to the truth of the Bible, you're going to have all kinds of names thrown at you. You know, all kinds of slanderous terms and all kinds of accusations from others who claim to be Christians. You know, but, um, but, but support all kinds of things that they shouldn't be supporting. You know, so that we, we know persecution is coming for those who believe. Um, but Jesus Christ, having endured that persecution, he was an example to us. I mean, verse 22 goes on to say he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And so that's an example to us that no matter how hard things get, we still are not to commit any sin, nor are we to resort to deceit. Um, To get out of those circumstances. And verse 23. And while being reviled he did not revile in return. While suffering he uttered no threats. But kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So who was Jesus Christ entrusting himself to? Yeah God the Father. God the Father. I mean that goes back to that Philippians Passage that we just read—that Jesus humbled Himself. I mean, Jesus voluntarily humbled Himself, and it wasn't—you know—Jesus when He humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He didn't take it upon His own initiative to exalt Himself. He waited for God the Father to do that. Mm-hmm. That's why in Philippians two nine, it's God the Father who exalted Him and and raised Him and and uh, gave Him a name that's above every name. Yep. It's very interesting that His last words were, "Father dear, have the Spirit." Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And, and really all the way to the point of being sat at the right hand of God. It was only at that point that Jesus Christ sat at the right hand of God that he officially resumed, um, you know, the authority that, that he had before. But until then, he was trusting God for the perfect timing. He was entrusting God for, for the perfect timing of everything. So he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously in verse 24. And he himself, and this goes to the next truth we're going to talk about, he himself Bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Um so what Peter is getting at here is that look, there's a responsibility for us as people who are saved. We do not earn our salvation. Works do not get us our salvation, but our salvation leads us to a new purpose. You know, we, works are not the roots of our salvation. It's the fruits of our salvation. You know, if you are truly saved, the way you behave, the way you act, what you do should reflect the fruits, the, the godly fruits um, that are described in Scripture by, by doing the, the will of God. So that, that's the difference when we say that salvation is by faith alone. Only faith can you be saved through Christ. There is no works. There is nothing you can do to earn it. You know, and some people will say, well, you don't earn it until you lived out your entire life. Well, no, that's not true. The Bible doesn't say that. I mean, we're going to look at um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and 10 next week. But let's take a look at that real quick. I don't want to give too much away. <clears throat> but look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, for by grace you have been what? Saved. saved. What tense? Past, past tense? past tense. You have been saved. And look earlier. Look at uh, chapter 1, verses I want to say 14, 13 and 14, 13, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were what? Sealed Sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Past tense. You were saved by faith. And if you are truly saved, then you will persevere all the way to the end. You will persevere to the end, and uh, and you will you will continue to be um, protected by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Protected by the power of God up in heaven, um, and and you will walk. You will you're not going to walk perfectly. Um, there may be seasons where you're going to have difficulties. There are going to be seasons of trials. There's gonna be season of spiritual uh, darkness, if you will. I mean, look at uh, Psalm twenty three beloved Psalm Psalm 23 I I mean this can never get enough of this Psalm the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want right so um, this is David uh, writing about the Lord um, being his everything right being everything that he needs providing everything that that he needs that's the idea of I shall not want but look at verse four. Um, verse four, and and, and this has been portrayed as okay. So let me read this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, um, the, the Hebrew is probably better translated as um, um, even when. So not even though, but even when. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, what is that valley of the shadow of death? Well, that that valley are our trials. You know, our our dark. Are, you know, it's going to be times of challenging times of temptation times of you know just where you don't feel like you're being spiritually blessed i mean this is paul on the road to troas saying we're going to minister here no the holy spirit presents us we're going to minister here no the spirit of christ you know stops us and it's not until they get all the way out into the coast and they're looking out it's like well there's nowhere else to go except ocean <laughs> in troas and that's when they get that vision saying hey come to macedonia And that's how Paul ends up there. Um, But there's going to be times in our life where we're going to feel like we're walking in spiritual darkness. But here's the thing. When you look back at verse 3, verse 3, I mean, David writes this. He restores the the shepherd restores my soul. He guides me in what? Paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so what does that mean? That means in verse 4 that sometimes those paths of righteousness are going to lead you through the valley of the shadow of death it's it's on you know it's unavoidable those, those things happen but this is what we take this is what we take comfort in uh, look at uh, look at this again so verse 4 even when i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i fear no evil why because you are with me and there's a transition here because in the first half of psalm 23 it's the shepherd leading the sheep and now it's the shepherd walking alongside the sheep And so even when we're in those dark places, even when we are going through those spiritual trials, we can rest assured that our Lord is always with us. I mean, that's the story of Joseph, right? I mean, Joseph, no matter what happened to him, you know, he sold into slavery. He sold into slavery at Potiphar's house. And and, and immediately in Potiphar's house, the scriptures say, but the Lord was with him. And even when he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and he was thrown in prison, he said immediately, but the Lord was with him. And it's amazing. Sometimes we think if the Lord is with me, all these things are not going to happen. No, sometimes these things happen because the Lord is with you. And so that requires us to trust in him. And that's what Psalm 23 is all about. It's, it's, It's trusting in God to be our everything. It's trusting God no matter where it is, he guides us. Trusting in God, no matter what uh, what comes about our way. Oh my goodness, it's seven o'clock already. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, I, I well, okay. Time flies, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's um it's it's absolutely amazing. And um I, I I've been taking us to a lot of verses. Hopefully, this has been helpful, though. I mean, I, this is this is, I mean, these are just wonderful, rich truths. Um, But, uh, you know, what I'm going to get at next, uh, let's take a look back at our statement again. Um, So Jesus Christ, he he learned um, obedience, you know, and that obedience is an example to us to to walk, recognizing that walking with Christ um, doesn't always mean that um, life is going to be sunshine and flowers, right? There's going to be dark times, there's going to be difficult days, and I will tell you what, it's in those difficult times that you actually prove your faith, Right? I mean, you know, what does what was Satan's challenge to God with regards to Job? He said, does he believe in you for nothing? I I mean, you've basically put a hedge around him. You've blessed him. Of course, he he he's righteous. You've done everything good to him. And what what does Satan say? You take those things away and he's going to curse you. And that's what the rest of the book is. It's, It's a test for Job, which he passes with flying colors. He never even his wife is like, just curse him and die. Right. You know, and Job says, no, I won't do that. I won't do that. You know, Job had, he did have to repent, but he had to repent of wanting to question God why he brought this calamity upon him. But what he didn't have to repent of is the fact that he refused to curse God. He continued to trust God even if he wasn't, if he was unsure as to why these uh, trials were happening to him. So we, we need to trust God as well, recognizing that whatever he brings us through, it's by the loving and sovereign hand of God. And that he's got a purpose in it all, even if we don't see and know and understand what that purpose is. Um, so the, uh, the, the next point, and I'll probably wrap this up and we'll continue this uh, next week. Um, so we talked about how he honored the divine law by his personal obedience and by his death made a full and vicarious atonement for our sin. A full and vicarious atonement. Vicarious means in our place. In, our place. in fact, uh, the word vicar, sometimes we don't use that here, but it gets used in Europe. A vicar is used sometimes to refer to um, someone in the clergy. Um, it's uh, the idea of a mediator. Um, but a full and vicarious to- atonement for our sin. I refer to this as a penal substitutionary atonement. And this this statement here is important because a lot of people deny that Jesus Christ had to die for our sins. A lot of people deny that. Uh, and so and I think in the scriptures that we looked at I mean the idea that that he bore our sins on the cross I mean Peter said that you know we we saw that in in 2 Corinthians 5:21 that he who knew knew no sin became sin on our behalf I mean the scriptures are very clear that that he took on our sin and paid for our sin in our place and paid the penalty on the cross but believe it or not there are some who call themselves Christian that describe this idea that god the father punished god the son as divine child abuse mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they, they, they say you guys are wrong what you guys are describing is a hateful god who who conducted divine child abuse against his son oh no no that that certainly cannot be true mm-hmm. he loved his son and so he wouldn't do that willingly that that happened because of the hatefulness of man i mean that's that's what they'll say you know and uh, yes in the back corner child abuse is involuntary yeah amen great point julia great point yeah jesus that's that's a great point jesus jesus christ submitted himself to that punishment in fact at the end when he said it is finished guess what that meant he he was done paying the price he knew what he was there for and he knew when it was done you know and and talk about his divinity i mean you know at the end when he let out a, a loud cry right and then gave up his spirit I mean, that was significant, too, because someone on the cross who's suffering through that kind of pain shouldn't have that kind of energy to do that kind of that thing. When he let out a loud cry, it went to show that, no, he he was physically in full strength, you know, though he was uh, suffering as as he was. Um, but penal substitutionary atonement, it's something that um, I hold very near and dear to my heart that he, he died as a substitute um, to, to pay the penalty of our sins. That's what it means. Uh, penal substitutionary atonement. Well, let's go ahead and um, let me see what else we have here. You know what? We're almost done, actually. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. You guys don't mind, right? We'll we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Um, Last two points. Okay, so last few points, and really it's talking about the same thing. So last two or 10 or 20. (laughs) Hey. It's, it's too humid outside. You don't want to be outside anyway. It's nice and cool in here. We're with family, right? Hey, and what could be better than studying the word of God, right? Amen. Okay. All right. All right. So um, take your watch, throw it away. S- stop looking at the clock. Uh, um, drink some coffee if you have to. All right. So, um, so by his death made a full and vicarious atonement for our sin. And right after that says that his atonement consisted not in setting us as an example by his death as a martyr, um, but of a voluntary substitution of himself in the sinner's place, the just dying for the unjust, Christ the Lord bearing our sins in His own body on the tree. And so, I think we saw a number of verses that prove that. But what was interesting is that the first part of that says his atonement consisted not in setting us an example by his death as a martyr. Well, he was an example for us. We saw that in Peter, um, but it wasn't simply just to be an example for us, because that's what some people say. Well. You know, for people that say he didn't come to die for our sins, he, what they'll say is that he came to show us an example of how to live. He came to show us an example of how to love, how, how, to, how to worship um, worship God. Well, if he came as just an example, we're all dead in our sins. You know, we, we, could, we could try to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ, but first of all, we're still dead in our trespasses and sins, so we're going to fail to do that. But even if we could do that, we still don't have payment for our sins, right? Um, so he didn't come just to set himself an example, but you've got people like Oprah Winfrey who, who said that, you know, and she, 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 she said that. No, he didn't die to, he didn't come to die for us sins, he came to, to show us an example of how to live. Um, so I would um, staunchly deny that. And then um, that having risen from the dead, he is now enthroned in heaven. I think we agree with that. We know that. Um, Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then we saw in Ephesians 1 in Paul's prayer that that Jesus Christ is now seated at the right hand uh, of God. So we know that he is enthroned in heaven. And even before giving the great commission, um, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And and guess what? That leaves no other place. All authority in heaven on earth means all authority everywhere. You know, there is no place where he does not have authority. He is now enthroned in heaven. And then the last part, um, and uniting in his wonderful person the tenderest sympathies with divine perfection he is in every way qualified to be a suitable compassionate and all-sufficient savior and so we we saw a lot of that um, the idea that he learned obedience um, we were told that uh, we should draw near to him because he can sympathize with our weaknesses and yet we know he is perfect um you, you know he really um, just fulfills so many wonderful roles for us you you know the Israelites coming to the end of the Old Testament after hearing all the prophecies that they had heard you know they knew from Moses that there would be a prophet the prophet who would come they also knew that uh, you know there would be a king who would reign forever right Uh, you know but uh, you know what they didn't realize is that the prophet and the king and, and this future high priest would all be the same person that's what they didn't realize and it's beautiful that one person can fulfill all these roles in absolute perfection. And that's why we say that our full sufficiency, everything that we need, is in Christ. And that's why we can find contentment wherever we are. Because wherever we are, no matter what's taken away from us, no one can ever take away Christ. So let's go ahead. So we, we actually did get through that. So, so you guys are laughing at me. We got through that. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, close out in a word of prayer.